The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Please visit pod617.com to learn about our podcast production services and view our full lineup of shows. All right, Sheer Springer, it is another jam-packed edition of The Meter is Running, but, you know, we brought out all the big guns tonight. We are at a gala. You're, when I think galas, I think Shearer Springer. <laughs> I think big time. Wow, you really don't know me well. <laughs> I do know you well. As someone who traveled the NBA circles. Yeah, NBA. There, there's, there's tons of galas on that circuit. Well, you never know. You're well, many- there was one interesting all-star party, uh, courtesy of Paul Pierce. He hosted one in L.A. once. So Very that, nice. That'll count. Very, many, many ballrooms uh, in your past, and we are in one right now at the Intercontinental Ballroom in Beautiful downtown Boston, right outside the seaport. We're here at the Concussion Legacy Foundation Gala, headlined by, of course, our good friend Chris Nowinski, who we spoke to on the show a couple weeks ago. And we are here tonight trying to find out more about CTE and the plague around the country and around the world, really. Head injuries are a big-time problem on the Boston Podcast Network. We will explore that on pod617.com and many other avenues throughout the night. And you know what? For the first guest, Guy Batten leadoff is a guy that I work with every week during the fall. It pervades into the winter. He's one of my best friends. I'll tell him that that's to his nice. face. Thank that's you very, very nice. much. He's I'm not sure I'm linebacker. saying that about you, but that's nice. It's okay. Well, you know, I know it doesn't go both ways. It's a one-way street. His name uh, is Pete Cronin, our partner on the BC Broadcast and the IMG Sports Network. And Pete, good to see you. And this is a cause that's near and dear to your heart. Why is that so? Well, Meade, I consider you a great friend, too. Okay? Thank you, you know, just, uh, in My career as a broadcaster, I've met some interesting characters, and, well, you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We, 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 oh, there you go. The, the rim shot. We got the rim shots going. Uh, why near and dear to my heart? Well, I played uh, in the league nine years. I played 17 years of organized football and uh, helmets and pads and not counting stuff before that. And uh, over, the, over the past several years, the awareness level is, is rising uh, in, around the impact or the effects of concussions. In, in particular, a very uh, a CTE, which is uh, a byproduct of brain trauma, which is a, a prelude to brain disease. And uh, this is what this whole program is about, is to, it, uh, it's multi, multi-leveled, but primarily to bring awareness to the, to the, uh, to the, to the situation, uh, and to also to share knowledge, which I think is a great byproduct of what's going on, and most importantly, uh, allow people to tell their stories, and that's kind of why I'm here. Chris Nowinski invited me as a former player who had had plenty of concussions uh, based on uh, the most recent uh, descriptive idea. How do you just, what, what's a concussion? Well, we can get into that, but uh, I had many, and I think I represent a lot of players who played during my era. And the ignorance that we lived through uh, during those years, the way we were treated during those years, and now, and I, we were over at uh, BU uh, earlier today, Mike Adamley and I were, were, were telling our stories effectively to a clinical audience, and I called us the, the byproduct of the product. And uh, th- there's a lot 
of energy now around concussions, around protocol, how to diagnose, how to treat, um, how, to, how to avoid. And uh, the conversation focuses primarily on football when you say contact sport or, or uh, you think of football first, but contact sport's a very broad spectrum. Soccer, hockey, I mean, you can cross, name it, name it. So we're the tip of the spear. Uh, we have a, a, a very, a pretty significant sample of people who are the byproduct of the product, who are aging now and are experiencing the consequences of brain trauma. And th that's, that's why my involvement, because I will ultimately fall victim to, uh, to, to, those, to those consequences. So you talk about being the byproduct of the product and the people putting out the product, you know, it's the NFL, right? And I, I know this may be a loaded question, but we're here at the Concussion Legacy Foundation Gala because I think it's fair to say the NFL isn't doing enough. And I'm just curious what your perspective is on the NFL, how it's handling concussions, how and, and particularly the players of your generation, what it's doing or, or maybe more accurately not doing for your well, know, the players of your generation. A couple things. Number one is the, the, the league is be, is being forced to become more aware of um, the, the concussion uh, situation. And as a result, they've taken steps to legislate safety into the game. If, and if that is a byproduct of the awareness that organizations like this have brought to around concussions, that's a positive. So they, they are, they are, they are, when I played, they didn't have a concussion protocol. Um, you know, it was, they'd ask you what day it was. If you get the day wrong, they sat you down. If you get it right, you went back in the game. So uh, the, the game has certainly evolved. However, this is a kind of a dirty little secret. This is the, this is the odd uncle. Stay away from Uncle Joe, you know? Let's not talk about the concussion thing. And most of what the league is doing right now is primarily, from what I can gather, is much more about public, public relations, outside of legislative safety into practice and in games. You know, the targeting rules are, are, are an example of it. They, they have taken some obvious steps and there, there has been an impact, but have you noticed a difference in the intensity of professional football? No. If there's a, I've noticed it. It's you, more intense. Have, yeah, it's I was going to say, I haven't, I haven't lessened a, a, noticed a weakening, no. It's, a, it's more intense. And you know, I told the story today, you've got to kind of step back. My rookie year in Seattle, I was sitting in a bar on a Monday night, loud music playing, watching a Monday night football game on TV, not listening, just other than the music, drinking the cold beer. And I thought to myself, what is the fascination with professional football? It's, although we, we, we appreciate the athleticism, the great throws, the great catches, the great runs, we appreciate all that. It's all about the collisions. It's all about contact. The game evolves, it pivots around contact. And that's that visceral desire by human beings, the football fans, to see that and see more of it. So you've got an interesting dynamic here because the game as a business, which will be a uh, based on what current 
projections will be to about a 15 billion, that's a billion dollar annualized revenue business is projected by the end of this collective bargaining agreement to be like between 23 and 25 billion going to a global audience expanding to the UK, to Mexico, possibly into Canada. This is, the growth trajectory is dynamic. And the, and the, and the, the weird uncle in the room is the concussion situation. Yeah, and yet, you know, you mentioned this being on its way to being, you know, and then NFL on its way to being a $15 billion industry, enterprise, business. It has no incentive, really, to reform. None. And so I'm just curious, you know, what do you do, what do you think the Concussion Legacy Foundation can do to pressure them? I mean, is it enough, is it speaking out enough? Is raising awareness enough? Well, I think that it's really going to start where the Legacy Foundation comes in. It's about it's about awareness. The knowledge, the accumulation of knowledge over the last 10 years has been remarkable. And I think the science helps, too, having that and, data. And that's what this does. You've got a lot of people, clinical people, doctors, uh, researchers, who are looking at kind of how the brain works and what's behind it. And when you, when you step back, you, you, you realize that this is a, this is a, this is a, very, very, it's a testy subject, it's an emotional subject, but when you step back, what is the byproduct of this in football, contact sports, CTE, brain trauma, all of this is, that's the tip of the spear, but the net effect is you've got an aging population that is going to experience the impact, the effects of, of ALS, Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, Parkinson's disease, and if, if this is the reason research is being invested in understanding these brain diseases and the causes of them, the overall population is going to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a greater good that's occurring. Football's taken a bit of a rap here, but, you know, I think it's, it's about when, when kids are introduced to football, contact football. I, absolutely believe it shouldn't happen before freshman year in high school. That puts youth programs in jeopardy. But I was in the youth program. My son played. Would I let him play today based on what I know now? Absolutely not. And I saw some of the, the well-intended parents and the way they coached and the, the, the risk they exposed their kids to. I think it's, it's, it's got no place. They can play. They can get more if, at least if not more out of learning to play the game playing flag, football, in those younger year, younger ages. And if you like it enough, when you do it at that point, you want to go into it in, uh, in freshman year in high school, now you're dealing with an environment that's much more regulated. They're regulating safety into the game. They're, they're managing the number of hits the kids have taken. There's a, there's a whole lot to it that's going to, I think, is going to have a positive effect on the health of the game and the health of the players involved in it. So it seems, it seems like the work, there's a lot of work to do, but still the, the Concussion Legacy Foundation yourself taking all the right steps to get the word out. It's about visibility and awareness. And Pete, it's, what just, you, it's fascinating. What, what you say to people, some guys that you play with, that might, might say, you know what, Pete, this game is too soft now. Quarterbacks are protected. Quarterbacks, well, you work with a guy who says, you know, quarterbacks need to be protected, and you say, all right, I hit quarterbacks all the time, but now they're not allowed to be hit. What do you say to that? Why? Ask why. The question is why. The question is because of why we're here tonight. I'm not sure that's exactly the question. Or the answer. Or the answer, yeah. 
I believe that the answer is, on a business level, is the most valuable player on your football team is your quarterback. Whether it's a knee injury, a shoulder injury, a head injury, a poke in the eye, if, if the marquee player on your football team is out because of injury, it affects the product. It affects your business. Yep. So what you'll do is you, you, in the evolution of this, under the guise of protecting quarterbacks from concussions, under that, under that, I guess that story, what they're doing is they're protecting their the franchise player, the marquee player, from incurring injury that will pre keep them from playing the game. It's much more, it's deeper and more insidious than just protecting these, these players from getting concussions. We could talk to Cronin all night. He's got plenty of stories, sure. I know. I, I sense that about him. He, this is a guy you Especially to... about you, right? Oh, well, he's got a lot about me. He's got a lot about me. Absolutely. It's been, me. what, you know, 14 years? It seems like 47. Longest 27 years of my life, those 14. So this could get dangerous. Could get very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't tell stories. You don't tell stories. Not at all. It's all, it's all part of the uh, the protection of secrecy or whatever it is. The cone of silence. Cone of silence. Yeah, cone yeah, of silence. Yeah, yeah. Why do they call it the cone of silence? Because you can't hear anything. But, Pete, you, you are going to have a tremendous night. We appreciate your time tonight at the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Of course, you can hear Pete Cronin. He's here all night. You can also hear him at the BCIMG Sports Network throughout the season on BC Football. Great to see you, Pete. Thank you for the time, both of you. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Hope, hope I made a contribution. Always. As always, Cronin. <laughs> Just ask him how electricity was made. <laughs> it started with a cut. How long would it I take? I was going to say, and yeah. the gala is over? The gala is over, but oh. great job. Okay. This, this is The Meter is Running on the Boston Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. What's up? This is Deborah DeFrancesco, and you got to check out my new podcast, The Bitchless Bride Podcast. Woohoo! You don't have to turn into an hysterical hot mess on the most important day of your life. And on my show, you'll hear lots of great tips to make your weddings thoughtful, respectful, and awesome. I couldn't agree more. Oh, yeah. That's Nathan. He's here, too. He's like one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Damn right. Between the two of us, we have decades in planning weddings and doling out advice you need to make your special day more memorable than deplorable. Don't worry, Bridie. Bitchless Bride will come to your rescue. We are your wedding superheroes, your go-to sounding board, and sometimes your personal therapist. Right? And why not get advice from straightforward, foul-mouthed professionals like us? Foul-mouthed? You, Deb? <laughs> Have you ever known me not to swear? Listen, I tell it how it is. Find the Bitchless Bride podcast on pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. New episodes posted every week. Subscribe to us on iTunes and let the party begin. Let's get bitchless. The Bitchless Bride podcast and pod we trust, bitches. The meter is running continues from the Concussion Legacy Foundation Gala at the Intercontinental Hotel in Boston on the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com, and share... We continue to elevate the discourse after speaking with Pete Cronin. We're now joined by Dr. Robert Stern from the BU Medical School, a professor of neurology, also the clinical director at the CTE Center there for Boston University, doing amazing work, doing God's work. Dr. Stern, good to see you. It is great to see you, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, I have to say, every time I talk to Dr. Stern, I feel like my knowledge level about concussions and the effect of concussions, particularly on young athletes, grows exponentially. So, and, and, and so, so Shira, as we, from you, that means a lot to me. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I mean, t 
tell, tell us about some of the work that you've been doing to explore the damage that not only concussions can do, but I think we also want to talk a little bit about subconcussive hits if we can You know, as that's well. the big deal. For me, I've got this pet peeve of everyone always talking about concussions. Yeah. And there's probably a reason for that. It's probably driven by some all organizations. Well right? It's all well yeah. intentioned. We need to do things about concussions. We need to take care of them. We need to prevent them. We need to manage them. But no one would really be talking about this if it weren't for chronic traumatic encephalopathy, this brain disease that is, as far as we know, caused by not concussions, but the overall exposure to repetitive hits to the head. And that includes these things we refer to as subconcussive trauma. And subconcussive hits means that it's the same kind of problem with the brain cells, but there's no symptoms. And if you don't have symptoms, you just keep on playing. And so when you think of what we, have, what we do in football, alignment in, in football, every play of every game and every practice, what are they doing? They're hit in the head. What do they have on their head? A big plastic helmet with a face mix, and so they don't feel any pain. And you know what's weird? You know, maybe there's something wrong with me, but human beings, we're supposed to feel pain and then try to avoid what causes us to have the pain. And I I say this as a, a reformed major football fan who's now seen way too many people whose lives have been devastated by this disease. Those hits that are just part of the game are killing people. It's not the big hits. It is not those big, nasty things that we think about and talk about and lead to symptoms. We're talking about the stuff that makes the game the game. And what happens is those subconcussive hits start this process of a progressive neurodegenerative disease, meaning a disease that's very similar to Alzheimer's. And like Alzheimer's, it starts years or decades before there's any symptoms, and then it continues to progress over years and years. And as it progresses, more and more brain tissue gets destroyed, and as more and more brain tissue gets destroyed, that's when the symptoms start. So when we're talking about concussion this, concussion that. All I want to do is say, time out! Let's talk about all of the hits that leave someone without the ability to rest because they don't have any symptoms, that keep them getting hit over and over again, and starts this cascade of changes in the brain that leads to a devastating, progressive brain disease that robs people of their ability to behave in an appropriate way, causes people to have changes in mood, and then ultimately problems with memory and thinking and dementia, meaning those problems get in the way of daily life. So, Shira, I just answered your question about concussions. (laughs) Concussions and subconcussive hits. And it's a big deal. And it's a big deal. It's also a big deal for the youngest athletes among us because I think studies that you've been a part of have found that they're particularly harmful in the development of young brains. And, I, and you know, we just talked to Pete Cronin from BC, yep. and he was talking about, I wouldn't let my son play, and no one should play before, you know, football before freshman year of high school. Yep. 
explain why, why that is, that? is right. from a science yep. point of view because the damage that happens, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old is really it impacts you for your the entirety of your life. You know, the brain develops and develops until we're in our young 20s, but there are points of development of that incredible organ between the ages of 9 and 12, especially in boys, that's the time period, where there's incredible maturation taking place. All of these things that are growing and maturing and moving forward to make that brain become an adult brain. And what has been found is that if the brain is damaged during that vulnerable time period, it can have longer lasting effects. So what our research then did was to look at what happens if kids are playing football, tackle football during those years, where they're not just getting a big injury, they're getting hit over and over again. Is that period potentially a time of neurodevelopmental vulnerability? In other words, you hit them over and overhead, over and over again during that time, will there be long-lasting problems? What we found in many different studies, whether we're looking at former NFL players or former college players or people who only played up through high school, in study after study, what we found is that people who start playing tackle football before the age of 12 have significantly worse memory and cognitive functioning when they're in middle age. They have changes to structures of the brain, they have smaller areas of the brain, connections in the white matter that are, are significantly worse than people who start playing at age 12 or older. But we also find that they have two to three times increased risk for significant problems in depression and behavioral regulation difficulties. So, and to me, that's the most concerning part. It, it is of what it's all about. Yeah. It, why should we be allowing our kids to get hit over and over and over again during this period when their brains are growing unbelievably? Here's something that I think the listeners are going to want to know. There are multiple stories, uh, multiple um, uh, studies now in major medical journals that have shown that after a single season of tackle football, kids ages 9 to 12, 8 to 13, have changes in the structures of their brain as seen on MRI scans that are directly associated with the amount of subconcussive hits they get. And these are studies where they remove kids who've had a symptomatic concussion. The more overall hits to the head, the more changes you can see on an MRI scan from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. So that's just one season. You think about season after season after season, and now we have these findings of long-term problems decades later. It makes me always ask this question. Why... Why do we as parents, as adults, put our kids in the field, drop them off, after making sure they're buckled in, some of them are only six years old, five years old, they still might be in a booster seat, 
And we drop them off and we tell them to put on this big plastic helmet and face mask that makes them a bobblehead. And it makes it so they can't feel the pain if they get hurt and say, hey, Johnny, go hit your head as many times as the coach wants you to, and then even some more to show that you're tough. And we do that even though we spend the rest of our adult lives trying to take care of these kids to make sure that they're protected, that they reach their potential. You know, it just doesn't make common sense. Insane. It really is insane, Dr. Stern. What is the next frontier in terms of research and what you guys are studying now at BC? Or, excuse me, BU. Yeah. Oh, watch that, buddy. <laughs> watch that. Kids I, at I, the I, BC. I, I, are you an, you're an eagle? I'm not. I'm, I'm, I, I work for the school. Okay. I was going to say, it's the two BU representatives here. <laughs> yes. Kids at the, kids at the <laughs> eagle out of the One professor and, and, and one... A terrier versus an eagle. Yes. And BU, you're doing so great work. What are, what are we doing? So to me, the most important next step with all of our work uh, when it comes to chronic traumatic encephalopathy, this brain disease, is to be able to diagnose it during life. That's going to allow us to figure out how common it is. It's going to allow us to understand what the real risk factors are. It's going to allow us, most importantly, to figure out how to treat it and prevent it. And so, most of my research focuses on just that. Ways of diagnosing this disease during life, while people are still kicking around, instead of having to wait until they die, and my colleague, Dr. McKee, and her group looking at the brains after death. And so, one of the most exciting studies that we have is this uh, project called the Diagnose CTE Research Project. Excellent. And uh, it, the, the website is www.diagnosecte.com. That's a pretty that. tough That's one. That's a good one. I get it. I'll repeat it. <laughs> www.diagnosecte.com. And what it is, is it's a study that I'm incredibly fortunate being the lead investigator with three other co-principal investigators from around the country who are like these gurus. And I just feel so honored to be able to work with them. And it's a, a study funded by the National Institutes of Health. It's a $16 million project over seven years to um, develop ways of diagnosing CT during life. And that includes things like blood tests or measurements of spinal fluid or fancy MRI scans or perhaps most importantly, new PET scans that are allowing us to see the abnormal tau in the brain while someone's alive. And we also are creating diagnostic criteria, meaning, you know, for all of the illnesses and diseases we get, doctors have criteria of how to diagnose it. But we're just developing those for CTE. So we're doing all these things in a group of um, 240 men between the ages of 45 and 74. 120 of them are former NFL players. 60 are former college players, and 60 are what we call controls, meaning same-age men who never played contact sports and who never had any kind of brain injury. We're doing this um, at four different sites around the country, and in Las Vegas, in uh, Arizona, Phoenix, Scottsdale area, at, uh, in New York City, and here in Boston with 10 other institutions around the country involved in the research. We have 50 investigators. 
all trying to work together to come up with these answers. What we really need, though, is we still haven't finished um, recruiting and enrolling all of our participants. So you need more participants. We need more participants. And in particular, right now, in order to make sure that we have meaningful, generalizable types of findings, we're in, we specifically are looking right now for African-American former college players, people who played in college but not beyond. And the reason why we're, we're looking for African-American college players is because there is such a large number of African-American former NFL players who are participating and who have volunteered to participate. We need to make sure we have the same percentage to be able to be scientifically meaningful. So we want to make sure that people realize you can help move this field forward. You can help us come up with answers. Please, if you're a control subject who never played contact sports, help us! So I want to end this conversation, I think, on a hopefully what's a positive note. Quickly, how far are we away from di a diagnosis in a, in a living person? Five years. Five years. And it will be a game changer. It will be a game changer in all ways. Can we hold you to it? Ask me back. <laughs> right. You got it. You're back. All right. Dr. Stern, thank you so much. You are very welcome. You're doing thank tremendous you. work. And good luck at BU. I appreciate it. Thank and, you, and guys, I know for being gonna, here I know today. I'll be talking to you again soon. And we won't wait five years. I hope well, so. Uh, yeah. No, it's going to be sooner It's going to be much Absolutely. sooner than that. Are you kidding me with First this guy? conversation, yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. Dr. Robert Stern, thanks thank so you. much. Thank you. That's Dr. Robert Stern on The Meter is Running on the Boston Podcast Network. Do you dare enter Monsterland. You may not know that some 50 miles west of Boston sits what may be one of the most diverse and comprehensive paranormal locations in the world. If you listen to the Monsterland podcast, the secrets will be revealed to you. I'm Maddie Blake, actor, TV host, and believer, and I'm fortunate to be co-hosting the show with the author of the book known as Monsterland, Ronnie LeBlanc. Thanks, Maddie. Well, you said it, we're practically next door to the Lemster State Forest, a place that's had decades-long list of strange phenomena, including UFOs, paranormal activity, Bigfoot, strange sightings, occult, and military activity. Absolutely. And Ronnie, on the Monsterland podcast, we'll be joined by a murderer's row of experts from all over the world to finally figure out if these claims belong in the myth or Monsterland Files. So make sure you listen, binge, and believe as each chapter of our mysterious journey unfolds. You can find the Monsterland Podcast on pod617.com, the mighty pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Join the passionate fans who we're already hearing from. See you soon in Monsterland. The meter is running from the Concussion Legacy Foundation Gala at the Intercontinental in Boston continues with Sheer Springer. I'm John Mita Perel on pod617.com and the Boston Podcast Network. We are joined by Shane Bannon, a former star fullback at Yale, seventh round pick, excuse me, in 2011 of the Kansas City Chiefs, and now a Concussion Legacy Foundation board member. And Sheer Shocker, a guy from Yale, a hedge fund guy. So it seems I'm just, like I'm just having a little bit of trouble, you know. We got the game coming up, and I, I'll, I will be quiet. I will spare you any fight song 
singing. It's Sam just is biting his tongue. I know. He's biting <laughs> I know. his tongue. We both we, we we're putting on our you know our best face forward here. You know our I best foot forward. I won't sing any songs for you. Shame. <laughs> I think it's better for the entire audience that neither of us sing. Yeah, that's probably better for me. I can yes, tell you that yes. Shame. What does the Concussion Legacy Foundation mean to you, and why is it such? Uh, very close charity for, or not charity, but a, a uh, foundation for you? Uh, I think the cause uh, speaks a lot to me. Um, I played fullback and tight end, H-back, I guess, and, uh, at Yale, and you know, joke, and it's probably not a joke, but got in car crashes every uh, Saturday, and then uh, kind of did a little bit of the same in Kansas City afterwards, and, um, you know, I wish I knew what I know now about um, brain trauma, and um, you know, self-reporting. Um, you know, I didn't have a single documented concussion while I was playing football. Um, I bet I had dozens, uh, knowing what I know now. And uh, I just want to make sure that the people who are playing, you know, have those tools to understand, uh, you know, what they're what they're coming up against, and um, you know, make the make the uh, the right decisions that they can. And it's something that I didn't feel that I was able to do because I, I wasn't educated enough uh, when I was playing. You say you probably had dozens of concussions during your career. How concerned are you about what lies ahead for you? Uh, I think very concerned. Uh, you know, it's something that I definitely like, downplay to my family and downplay to my wife, um, my parents for sure. And, and football gave me a lot of things. It gave me, uh, get, certainly gave me Yale. And, you know, I was a recruited athlete and got in and, uh, you know, with, with a lot of help from football and, uh, you know, met my wife there and, we have a dog now. Wouldn't have those things if uh, you know didn't didn't play football. If, you know, if you look at the uh, kind of the order of events, um, yeah, it's it's definitely something that's in the back of my mind and something that I can't really do anything about now. Um, but you know, I think a couple of years ago I started answering the question like, would I let my kids play football? And uh, I started answering no with the, the you know the fact that there's just so you know so many things that are unknown still that I don't think we have control over. You also mentioned that you wish you knew when you played what you know now. If you did have more knowledge about the effects of concussions and subconcussive hits, would you have made a different decision about how much you played, about turning pro? I mean, would, would your life have followed a different trajectory if you had more knowledge? Yeah, I think it's really hard to uh, like look back and say, oh, I would have changed this and that, because any of those decisions would have you know, put me in a different position that I am right now. Um, I think the only thing that I can do is you know, use the platform and use the knowledge that I have to make sure that everyone else is able to make really smart decisions. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't change the fact that I played pro football. I wouldn't change the fact that I played at Yale. Um, a lot of those things, like, helped me get to where I am today, whether it's working where I work or, um, you know, being on this board and being able to, uh, you know, tell my story and make sure that people know the, you know, the, uh, the seriousness of the nature of, you know, brain trauma and concussions and, and TBIs. Um, but, you know... I, uh, I certainly would uh, like for other people to have the, you know, the amount of information that I do now. And have you been infected? Unfortunately, we talked to too many people that have been affected from a tragic standpoint. People that have known people that have committed suicide. People that have known people that have had tragedy surrounding head injuries. Has that affected your life at all? Well, there's, a, there's a few things I can point to, and I've had a couple teammates that um, have uh, have taken their lives, and I can't directly point to uh, to brain trauma. I know that, you know, uh, I was in Kansas City when uh, um, 
Javon Belcher committed suicide in Kansas City, um, and I had a teammate from uh, from Yale that committed suicide. And uh, you know, I know that they had you know they had serious histories of concussions. And um, I think there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of other um, you know potential variables, and like whether that's you know mental health of you know 20 something males, uh, and you know in stressful environments. I, I think that also plays a factor. But um, you know you know as I look at uh, at the people that I know and, and the people that I worry about and, you know, the, the ones who are more affected by head trauma than others. And I, I'd like, uh, you know, I, I especially keep a close eye on those people today. In, in terms of this foundation and what you're doing now in terms of the advisory board, what is your role on the advisory board? Uh, I'd say that, like, the biggest role is, you know, just bringing awareness. Um, you know, part of it is, you know, making sure people are here and, you know, we're raising money. Um, but I think the most important thing we can do right now in, in terms of CTE and, and brain trauma and concussions and subconcussion, uh, subconcussive hits is just making sure people know what we're talking about. And, um, you know, I think the, the biggest problem I have with the, you know, the NFL is I feel that, you know, they, they don't do any justice to the fact that, um, or they don't do any justice for the players or the fact that, like, this is an actual problem. Um, and it's something that really bothers me. I haven't really watched probably a full NFL game in two or three years. But, um, you know, it's... To me, that speaks volumes. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, like, I mean, I, I, uh, I started answering the question, like, would I let my kids play football um, with a no and uh, knowing what I know? And I'm, I'm not in the business of, like, watching other people's kids play football if I wouldn't let mine. Um, you know, it's, again, it was something that, you know, gave me an incredible path, and I never went to Yale thinking I would play pro football, and so that was an amazing opportunity. Um, but... It's, it's just not, not something I enjoy, and I get, get a lot more done on Sundays than I used to. Shane Bannon, former Yale fullback, drafted in the seventh round by the Kansas City Chiefs. You're doing great work. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to see you. Good luck in the future. Thanks. That's Thanks. Shane Bannon on The Meter is Running in the Boston Podcast Network. Hi, doctor. My brother here is pretty sick. What's the problem, young man? Help. I need somebody. Okay, so what hurts? Well, woke up, got out of bed, dragged a comb across my head. Uh, right. Then what happened? Y you got that something. I think you'll understand. Is he talking solely in Beatles lyrics? That's right, Doc. It's getting better all the time. It's not, Doc. Ever since he started listening to Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette, it's Beatles 24-7. Ah, uh, look at all the lonely people. Get Back to the Beatles? Yes, it's a podcast on pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. It took me so long to find out, but I found out. Please stop singing Ticket to Ride. Uh, that was actually from Day Tripper. You too, Doc? Gotta admit, I can't wait to log on to pod617.com to hear Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette. I give up. Goodbye. Uh, you say goodbye. I say hello. Get back, Jojo. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPred at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. You know what, Cher? This has been a very rewarding night. One, one of these things that we talked about with Chris Lewinsky is every time you talk to him, you feel like you're smarter. Yeah. I feel like I'm smarter tonight after talking to our guests, Pete Cronin, Dr. Robert Stern, and Shane Bannon. There's any number of people we could have picked out of the crowd tonight and talked to. We could have been here for 12 hours. Yeah, I think we could have talked to every single person in this room, and they would have had an interesting story or interesting information from research they're doing. It's just a powerhouse crowd when it comes to concussion awareness and concussion research. And I'm guessing in your broadcast future, you are going to 
even elevate this subject further. I'm hoping to. I mean, everyone who is coming by the, the table here tonight, I'm saying, tell me your story. What, what, what's going on? What's your involvement with this organization? And like I said, they all had interesting stories, interesting information to share. Everybody here also is so passionate about what they're doing. And I think the other thing that I came out of this was there's a lot of frustration, and I think that might be putting it mildly, Very mildly. about the way the NFL is handling this and not taking it seriously. Yep. Um, despite what it may seem in terms of optics and PR, they really want more from the NFL. They're not expecting it though, and they are relying on the people who are in this room, who are doing the research, who are speaking out about the problems they have or the problems they've seen teammates have. It's one of those things like you think they might be putting it on the back burner, we'll take care of it tomorrow, we'll take care of it down the road. Oh, that's just an, another topic we'll deal with. Yeah, that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. It should be at the forefront. I think more, more the thinking is we have a 10 to $15 billion industry here. Let's keep the train on the tracks. Right. You know, we right. don't want which any distractions. Which, which is which is more than ridiculous. Does it's, money it's, buy a life? It's disgraceful. It's disgraceful. No, it, it, and that it, may be really putting is. it mildly, too. Yeah, it is. But always a pleasure to see you, Sherry. You're going to be headed you. to Los Angeles. I am headed to Los Angeles. You're going to bring home the World Series? Uh, not me personally, but I, I wouldn't mind a sweep or, a, or a, you know, finishing five. You got you have a couple innings in you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> got to get my, my, you know, loosen up my left arm here. I'm a lefty, so I'd fit right in. It seems to have been a lot of lefties uh, throwing. A so self this year. Yeah. Excellent. Well, safe travels to you. We'll look forward to you very soon on the Boston Podcast Network and the meters running. David Yaz, conspicuous by his absence tonight, very quiet, which is very unlike David Yaz, our producer. Sorry, Meter. We'll get it right the next time, pal. It's all right. You know what? He's just soaking it all in. We appreciate his help along with Looking cool, Terry though, Tabasky. with the T-shirt and the suit jacket. I yeah, like that look. This is uh, called Lucky Casual. You throw a bunch of stuff on, and if you get lucky, you look nice and casual or something. I'll, I'll go with that. I'm going to use it. that line. Lucky Casual. We thank Chris Nowinski, Julia Manning from the Concussion Legacy Foundation. It's going to be a great night at the Intercontinental Hotel. She's Shira, Shira Springer. Shira, right? Yeah, it is Shira. Good going. I'm John Meter Perel. This is the Meter sure? is running. You got I think. It? Okay, I got good. it. Good. It only took me 45 years. <laughs> this is the Meter is running. Have a great week, everybody, and thanks for listening to the Boston Podcast Network and Pod617.com.